Pimpo IET, the Haitian diaspora living in Haiti podcast. Today is another week, another day, another episode that we get to bring an incredible guest and just have a conversation, have a conversation about their perspective of engaging in the country in the way that they are inspired to. And we get to listen in, we get to dissect, and we get to be inspired our own selves. Myself, C. Genty, you know me, I'm here, I'm the crazy nutcase that that uh, is trying to convince others to do the same thing and impact the country physically. I'm, I am joined by my co-host, the pastor. Yes, sir, Mark Antoine. Hey, man, how you doing, Mark? Do, doing well, doing really well. Really excited for the show today. Man, it's been a crazy week. I think probably our next episode, we need to probably talk about that at some point. It's been a lot of stuff happening in the world at large and uh, a lot of a lot of inspiration from, from Haiti, you know, in terms yeah. of some social change happening, but what, 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 let's stay focused. I, I know we do want to go into, but, but again, just very interesting times, man. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so I, I have an incredible guest, I guess that I've, I've been, uh, gung ho to get on the podcast ever since I saw this incredible documentary on Amazon prime that really, it spoke to my soul. How, why? Of course it involves, a Haitian American reengaging with Haiti, with the island in a way that we all can relate with. Anyone who's ever decided to push and move back has every single point. It's like, like she was telling my story. It's like basically if I was a director <laughs> and I saw this, I'm like, oh my goodness, I gotta, you know, turn mm-hmm. heaven and earth mm-hmm. to try, try to get this incredible director here. And oh my goodness, the skies of the unparted and I actually <laughs> have her here. And so it's going to be incredible. So we're going to talk about you know, everything that she ha- wants to talk about as it relates to this, this documentary and herself. My guest is Rochelle Sanav. She is a Haitian American, grew up in Harlem, right? And, uh, never let, despite being born in the, in, in America, never lost that ancestral connection to try to impact and do things in Haiti. Strong mm-hmm. Haitian. And, and the, I mean, listen, if you haven't seen her documentary yet, you need to change that. It's on Amazon Prime. You also can check it out on Vimeo, right? www.vimeo.com forward slash on board. I'm uh, sorry, on demand forward slash La Belle Make sure you have it. If you haven't watched it, just make sure you go and do that. But listen, yeah. I, uh, I can certainly talk her up all episode if I, if I, if I, if, if so, and if you don't stop me, Mark. <laughs> so, so I am going <laughs> to. She deserves it. She deserves it. <laughs> so I'm going to bring her on. Rochelle, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm good. So, est-ce que nous capable mélanger créole, anglais, French, Jean Vlé, oui, Jean Vlé, Jean Vlé. Okay. On connaît pas. When I have an opportunity to at least practice, parce que on connaît créole. Everybody talks about my créole. Everybody. Of course. And we hear the Creole. We also hear that New York in your in your accent. We hear that as well. That's there's no denying you are a New Yorkin. That's that's what's up. And and of course we have so much to talk about this episode. But first, I, w- I just want to give folks a very quick cliff notes of the documentary before we get into it any further. Uh, again, it's it's a story where uh, Rochelle is is sort of walking through uh, what it means to be Haitian for her and and just that general plight plot you know plight p l i g h t. And of course, talks about her history, her where her family comes from, which is which is great. In fact, I have to do my sort of uh, family history. Work. I don't really know too much about my family history, which is something I got to change. I don't, Mark, how about you? Do you really do you are you do you know your sort of history of your family going back 
Pastor yeah, Grandpa. Yeah, you my, my grand my grandfather is 105 years old. Oh wow! And so he's been able to tell us a great deal about him oh, and man. his grandfather, actually. So oh wow! Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, that's something I got to work on and my family tree and really getting the stories down. But Michelle, she had those stories, and uh, and and she brought us in, us the viewer, into that. And again, she reengaged on her island. All the many issues, the socio-economic, environmental, all those issues were laid bare. Did I say political? Political. All those issues were uh, made bare for for us to watch and be a part of. And, and so that's the Cliff Notes version. Rochelle, what do you want to add a little you know, about the documentary that maybe I've missed? Well, I mean, this, the film La Belle Vie, you know, this beautiful life was really just an inspiration uh, that came from, as you mentioned, my Haitian, the, this Haitian migration story, you know, and uh, being part of the first generation that was born outside of Haiti, you know, and the dichotomies, everything, the complexities, growing up in New York City, all of that was, mm. uh, it was very, uh, very interesting. Um, so, you know, again, I, I don't want, I won't go too much into it because I don't, I know you have other questions, but just what you said was pretty much it. But th again, this was, the inspiration, you know, by guy, it's so I'm getting that questions that I had as, you know, a, a kid, you know, with <laughs> the first mm -hmm, generation mm -hmm. outside that are growing up in mm -hmm. a country that's not really our country, a yeah. foreign country. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. anyway, that, 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 this, this was the inspiration. And in the end, you know, the film really begs where it's home yeah. and also really captures my, not yours, but my mm -hmm. definition of this La Belle Vie, mm -hmm. like a redefinition of what mm -hmm. La Belle Vie means mm -hmm. to me, you know, mm -hmm. this beautiful life, this vision, this, this fantasy, this, not even a fantasy, but this beautiful dream that I feel is so real that I dream about every night for Haiti. That was really the inspiration behind my memory. Wow. So yesterday, Chris, yesterday, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my wife and I watched watched it. Okay. Thanks. And and um, so after we watched it, my wife she went and she grabbed me some uh, some cookies and milk, and I was sitting there and I was like, mmm, la belle vie. <laughs> we started saying that for the entire night. <laughs> we started using it the entire night. So I think it's I think it's gonna catch on really quickly. La belle vie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good stuff. I right, so so that's the synopsis. And again, you guys can Amazon Prime right now. Make sure uh, to stop what you're doing for your listening. Stay signed again. Vimeo.com on demand. Yeah, I bet V for sure. So uh, I so let's let's really take a step back and and I like to understand really, you know, Rochelle. Who is Rochelle? Right? Because you know it is you know uh, interesting how much your story parallels so many so many so many Haitians. You know, so I, I'd love to, to to ask that question, let you answer it. Uh, who, who, you know, in terms of growing up, where, where in New York? I think I already mentioned it, but where in New York and just that that sort of experience as it relates to staying ingrained in your culture. Um, tell us about that. Well, yeah. So I mean, I I grew up in in New York City. I grew up actually uptown. 
grew up across, I lived right, right in the middle of um, two big global communities, okay? We're not talking just the local neighborhoods. We're talking about two global communities. On the left side of me was Columbia University. That's one of the Ivy League schools. That's where, you know, the the major, like... The top <laughs> of the top. Yeah, the, the top, top of the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Education, right? That's on the left of me. On the right side of me was Black Harlem, a world-renowned, just like Haiti, a world-renowned community that has always fought for the civil liberties of black people, Harlem, okay? But Harlem in the late the seven the late seventies, eighties, nineties, totally different Harlem than what you see today. So just being born there, I I embrace because and and you know factoring going home having two Haitian parents from also two very different Haitian backgrounds. Um, so all of this was like, wow, there was a lot going on in my psyche at a very young age. And uh, and so, you know, yeah, I grew up, I, I, I didn't grow up wealthy. Like my mom used to talk about La Belle Vie and how she grew up like a princess. And she mainly, just like me, spent most of her formative years in France. So she kind of like me in the sense where she was born in Haiti, but she left Haiti at the age of nine to study in France. And when she would come back to Haiti for vacation, whatever, it was like a different experience for her. And my dad, on the other hand, <laughs> my dad, oh, Lord, this guy, he's in New York City right now. <laughs> he, he's, he's a trip, my pops. Um, but my dad was... Um, he didn't come from a wealthy family, but he came from a very recognized uh, family that was intellectually, like, they changed culture, you know, Salinav family. We have a president, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a royalty, you know, mm-hmm. I got a fourth grandfather was the president of Haiti. You know, he's the one with the long mustache. If you go to the Haitian barbershop mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you see this president, he's the, one, he's the one with the long mustache. So, you know, I grew up with all of this. And I had to, being, growing up in New York City, in America, you know, even though I had all this going on, uh, I had to, I had to also face like, you know, who I was, who who, who I was, because I can either go this way, which is, you know, my mom wanted to pull me away from um, Harlem and the Harlem Park, and she wanted me to, she, it's not that she wanted, I was forced to play in the Columbia University campus as a playground. Wow, there was a there was a there was a park right down the block, and I always used to be like, "Ma, you're acting white. You're acting white. <laughs> you're acting white." And a lot of times she was, but we get she she grew up French, <laughs> so mm-hmm. a lot of times, yeah, she connected with that whiteness by trying to speak to me in French. But to her, 
to her defense, you know, she did take me to the parks in Harlem. And at the time, there was mad crack vials on the floor. And as a kid, I was like, oh, it looked like a, a game. You know, one of those little games that they used to have back in the 80s? <laughs> Heck of a game, find the crack pipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but like the little, because they were all colored vials that you would see on the floor. And come on, as as I remember as as early as like five, six, like I, I have flashes of those, that that was the reality in those times. But as, I, as a kid, all I saw was, look, there's a different type of energy down here that I like. There is slides, there's swings, like, I don't get it. And then as I got old, and, you know, I say all this kind of metaphorically that I gravitated to the African-American experience here in America um, because that's where my soul, that's where my soul guided me to, and that's also how I had to live because at the end of the day, you know, bump if I have curly hair or not, I got I got brown skin. I got black skin. You know, I got colored skin. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's like, um, so that was the reality that I grew up in. And, and I'll tell you, that was the real reality because then when I would go to Queens to my cousin's house, they were, and still today, <laughs> gravitated to the Columbia University side. And I say the white side. They grew, they, they have this idea that you know, that they're not black, that they're Haitian. I, that always used to mess with me growing up, you know? Ooh. Yeah. Honestly, I felt it changed the moment I saw Lil Wayne have a Haitian flag on one of his videos. That's when I felt, <laughs> I maybe recognized. We were, we were officially like part, you know, totally welcomed uh, and being pushed in, 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 in African-American hip-hop culture. When I saw Lil Wayne with that flag and it was repping it, I mean, that, that, I don't know, when, when did you guys feel there was a change? Did you remember any specific thing that perhaps was like on, and it's like, oh, wow, okay, this is, this is how I remember growing for up. Me, uh-huh. For me, I would say once Wyclef came out with going to November, mm. everything changed. Every, every, I mean, there were a group of kids, I was included, who always repped Haiti. But then when Wyclef came onto the scene and the Fugees came onto the scene, everybody became much more comfortable with their ethnic background. And for me, I think that was, that was it. About you, Wyclef? Yeah, I agree. I think Wyclef, that was like, um, that was kind of like for us, you know how like, oh man, I should know their names, but the runners, uh, uh, when they raise their fists, and that's like an iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Olympics, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Olympians, yeah. Yeah, what Wyclef did at the Grammys, that was like an icon. That was that iconic picture. Mm-hmm. But I think the crossroad, I think the crossroad, the turn. But for me personally, mine came a lot earlier. Why? Because Brooklyn Haitians um, had a different, a different. I think they had a different story than than Haitians uptown. I think, mm. and, 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 but I can't really speak on it too much because I, I was actually one of those people who, when I was in junior high school, I would, I would have a Dominican aunt. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm Dominican. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Dominican. I'm Dominican. You know what I mean? Like, 
So, but that kind of foolishness actually was not long lived because living in Harlem, I started, and remember, we were born in the hip hop generation. When hip hop came, hip hop kind of yeah. unified us. Yeah. In a in a very effective way for me at least. You know, I can only speak on my personal experience. Uh you know, while they don't know Haiti and they're again, they're second generation because you know, but I just the work that I do, they know and they're proud to be Haitian. And That's I love right. I love that. But they have a different they don't really know. Yeah, they don't know our story. And our story is, imp- is just as important as our parents' story when they had to, you know, deal with, you know, the BS in Haiti and leave. And then, and you know, every generation's story is very important. It's it's a humanity story, actually. So let me ask. So now, you know, that's, that's your childhood there and that dynamic. Uh, but then as you grew up, you know, tell us about how did you sort of start getting into filmmaking? Was it something that you always had and you always just enjoyed telling stories? Was it just something during college, somebody just plopped a camera in your hand? You know, how did how did you sort of transition again into that? Well, um, I mean, the dope thing about growing up in in uh, New York City in the 80s is they had the best television show. Mm-hmm. And all of the television shows I liked all had leading black, beautiful people, you know, Miami Vice, Facts of Life. <laughs> Even the cartoons were cool, you know. <laughs> and and so, um, so I I I always was like, I want to do that. And hearing like the stories that La Belle Vie story, you know, like. Hearing those stories that what, how my grandmother used to live her life in Haiti, I was like, man, those should be films, you know, those should be. And then my mom was like a movie buff too, because that was like the most affordable thing that we. <laughs> well, there was a lot of actually affordable and free things. I was always exposed to culture in New York City, which you know again, is is has been the inspiration for me to want to do film and be in entertainment at a very young age. And I was happy that I knew that young, so I would always, like, go to art schools or, you know, if I went to high school that was an art, I would always, you know, take acting classes or dance classes. I wanted to be in fame. <laughs> that television show, mm-hmm. you know. So as i as I you know figured out what I wanted to do at a very young age and combined that with growing up in hip hop, growing up you know now becoming socially aware of myself and my identity uh I was like yo i'm gonna I graduated out of college and i was like i'm gonna I'm gonna major in film and at the time when I was in New York at Hunter College, I was like I was gonna minor in theater. Because I really, I really wanted to do the acting first. I really wanted to act and dance, you know, and be in one of like those musicals and shit. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You wanted to be a fly girl. Yeah, yeah. 
I was the original fly girl. I was always in the club dancing and, you know, or watching them dance, you know, and just being like, man, this is a, this is a great time. And it was, and what, and in, in a lot of respects for the culture, it was a dope time. So I wanted to be yeah. a part of that. So I majored in film and I stuck with it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I stuck with it. Let me, let me ask you something in there, uh, Rachel. Um, this is a bit of a, of a rewind, not much. Um, I know there's a lot of, a lot of Haitians who grew up in Brooklyn, a lot of Haitians who grew up in Queens. Um, but I never really heard of a lot of Haitians growing up in Manhattan and, 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 and in Harlem. So where you grew up, were there other Haitian, Haitian families? Was there much of a Haitian community in Harlem or, or did you have to go to Queens and, 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 and Brooklyn to get that? Yeah, no, there was a community. Actually, on my block alone, there was one, two, three. There was three other families. One of them, one of the, one out of the three, like, they were my cousins, you know? Like, they were, like, my blood cousins, but they weren't, you know? Like, we, they were my sisters. They're my sisters and brothers, you know? We grew up together yeah. um, because all of them worked for Columbia University. That was the thing in New York City. That's the reason why Haitians love New York because you get work. You right. might get sh you might get shitty work, but if you work like two jobs, you get a house, you yeah. get this, you get yeah. that, you get to move to Long Island, you can buy nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's right. a hustle. And so yeah, there was a small Haitian community. There was actually a restaurant. There was a couple of you know funny funny barbershops. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, there was, it was, but you're right. It wasn't big. Like, like most, like my family, like my mom, she wouldn't hang out with the Haitians that we were right next to. She hung out with her family in Queens and, um, and we didn't have any family in Brooklyn, actually. We didn't have any family in Brooklyn. It was only Queens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of, again, a lot of complexities growing up, even within that, even within living in New York, dealing with Haitians, because Brooklyn was always like, that's where the black Haitians. The, the, the blackies, yeah. Yeah, the, the, you know, like the, the Africans. Ones that, yeah, like the ones that we would never associate with them in Haiti. So, know, this, so, 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 so there's a dynamic um, in in the film, and I don't know if I'm if I'm if I'm going too fast, but as you mentioned that, Michelle, um, growing up in Harlem, you grew up in hip hop era, you grew up really connecting to your, to, your, to the black struggle, black pride, but you have parents um, who who grew up um, otherwise. You have parents who you know grew up in France. One of your mom, um, you know, the mulattoes, and you know more of the bourgeois kind of side. Um, how did you reconcile those two? Because even me, my parents are not mulatto. My parents didn't, you know, grow up abroad. They grew up in Haiti, poor. But they were very anti-African-American, very anti-black, very pro-Haitian, but anti-African-American. Um, how did you reconcile, you know, having that side of, you know, your, your background, your family background and history, which... Is your family history and you should love and you know you should be embraced 
um, as well as having this black power struggle side um, that you have to embrace as well? Well, um, I did what a lot of kids do. I didn't listen, you know. I didn't listen, and I had my own thoughts, and I wanted to experience my own experience, which I did. And, um, mm -hmm. and, but always trying to have respect because at the end of the day, they are my parents. They are not, and my parents are not typical. They weren't the typical Haitian parents to like, mm -hmm. they were really like very strange out of space Haitians, really. Mm -hmm. Like they just, just different type of folks. Uh, as you can kind of see with my dad, you know, my dad is very charismatic, um, you know, but has a lot of issues with with race, class, himself, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, he he does. And, and those types of privileges, like, we don't think that we have certain privileges, you know, when we're we're constantly like talking about this whole race, class, colorism, all of that, all these layers, you know. Um, but um how I reconciled with it was really just trying to know myself, know who I am, Rachel, and understand that Okay, my parents grew up the way they grew up. Especially, mm -hmm. I can really talk about my mom because my dad, economically, he did not have the same advantages as my mother, mm -hmm. which makes, which to me also contributes to a little bit of his, uh, the way he thinks is very different. Um, okay. but, but my mom, she did grow up in a white country, France. Mm -hmm. And France is, the they have the way they uh, go about racism and all that is is very different than here. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. everywhere everywhere has their their issues with this, mm -hmm. right? Um, but for me, like you know, as a kid, yeah, I was like, okay, my mom is African white, but then as <laughs> even as doing these projects, I understand that. She's just a part of her environment that she grew up in. And she mm. had to learn. She had to learn, unfortunately, the hard way, too, at the end of the day, you know, who are you? Who who are you? Not mm. the idea that, okay, you were born in, you were born in Haiti, but you have this connection to France. You know, you were, because, you know, you know, reconciling means that, you may not have to agree with what, how the person thinks or whatever, yeah. but because there's like the love is there, you mm -hmm. know, and you want to also heal because a lot of it is so hurtful and so confusing as a kid. But we can't get there until we unlayer and really have some hard conversations with us. Numem, numem ki Haitian, numem ki, okay, Black American, numem ki African. Yeah. Africa, Africa is is at the core of our genius, our creativity, and our triumphs, but it's also at the core of our pain. Yeah, yeah.
because nobody wants to ask Africa, yo, what's up? You know what I mean? Like, where y'all at? Where's your voices at? You know, are you, like, where you guys at? Because mm-hmm. we got to, I mean, we have to go, again, I'm, my, my body, when, 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 and you guys, I'm surprised, I was surprised Sun Jesse is not cutting me off. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we believe in allowing you to freely express your entire idea, so it's all good. It's all good, Rochelle. So I do want to ask, though, now, from from filmmaking perspective, right, when you, okay, film school, cool, and then I know one of your early projects, Mart 125, I, I watched it in another documentary that was very impactful because it talked about Harlem, right? It talked about uh, the specific experience of this one location that functions as a sort of a uh, mashund area where a lot of street vendors were able to move their products and be inside and be more formalized. Unfortunately, uh, it wasn't necessarily well supported. And, and the story of Mart 125 really paralleled the story of Harlem, right, where you have this a lot of, you know, uh, you know, entrepreneurial, internal, just folks trying, but then the lack of support from ultimately the state really impended the growth and progress. But then at the same time, you had these sort of external folks coming in, and but they were being supported. But again, it's a very parallel story, and I certainly understand why you it shows it. Uh, and so that certainly seemed to be one of your early projects, you know, uh, and, and I certainly see the DNA of the way you put that together and how it related to how things flowed in La Belle Vie. So, you know, what sort of, what did you like the most about uh, creating Mart 125 and, and, and what did you really take out of that experience to, to leverage? Because I think from asking that question, I can get a sense of, we can get a sense of really your style and, and what you like most about that process. What I like most about making Mart 125, um, what well, was a big journey? It was a big project. Um, it took me 10 years, well, like, yeah, nine years actually, nine years to make the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, mainly because I, I had stopped, um, for a little bit, you know, I had my kid, I started having a, my family, and I was working for a major record company, actually, at the time. Columbia Records, Sony Music. Big, you know, but I was a little, I was a little guy, you know, sitting in the front. Uh, but it was, you know, I was young, I was having a family, and I had to just kind of put a pause on it. And I was, like, kind of getting tired of it, because I was like, man, this is hard to do this with, like, very little resources and then, like, you know, family and friends that I was using as crew was, like, dropping out. It was like, ah, this thing is never going to end, you know. But the biggest learning lesson and what I like most about doing the project is I didn't give up. I didn't give up. I just stuck with it. And, yeah, I might have taken a break, and maybe if I didn't take a break, I would have finished faster. But... When you do nonfiction work, time actually is a good thing because you're dealing with reality. You're dealing with this is no acting. You know, I wasn't getting actors. Like the story really unfolded over time, and I'm glad that I made the decision to to finish it despite 
the um, disparities I had as an independent black filmmaker <laughs> with no money, no, 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 no. But it was my community, you know, and I documented it and I was, I'm very proud of it. And actually, <laughs> look where we at today. Look at Harlem today. Look at the mart. The mart is still not open. They could have kept that market open for entrepreneurs until right. they figure out what the fuck they want to do. But they, <laughs> it's still there, which on one hand is great hope for the community if they maybe exploit some of this opportunity while people are awakened and 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 say, yo, this is a need on our community too. You know, actually, this is a very, like, this is a hard knee on the community. Knee meaning gentrification. Gentrification is my civil rights movement. It's my, as a, as a person living here in this, in these states, it's, it's, it's the racism and it's that same fascist energy. And, but it's hard when you have, you know, people don't feel the same way. And I, and I get that too. Even though it, it, it bothers me, I get it too, because at the end of the day, when you've been living in extreme poverty, cracked, cracked neighborhoods that have like completely annihilated your community, then this AIDS thing, right? Then, yo, all of these things that just pressing on Harlem, pressing, pressing, you know, brothers getting, brothers can't find work, so they do bad work just to feed their families, and they're getting locked up for, like, their whole lives. You know, some of them only just, you know, selling weed, <laughs> and they're getting life. Yeah, you know, for sure. and it's like, and that's that's the that's the, and so uh, you know, again, just to come full circle to answer your question, that is like what I love most about the project is just seeing like the the fruits of completion. I uh, one thing I, I certainly enjoyed right was just the the overtime chronologicalness of it right that you you saw from from because it took you nine years but but yet you really really felt we we're walking through time and through a progression and that's what i felt with la belle vie as well that we were in progression we were watching particularly early on when moxley came on but then as time went on some of the feelings that not enough was being done right so you can really that that's what i enjoy most so far of the documents i've seen is that uh, you know, they take a while, but the, but the, when you put it together, you put it together in a way that really feels like you're watching a story uh, over. Yeah, it's, maybe it's an hour, but but you, since because you're going to able, you're able to go through so much time, you're able to really get a full sense of what's going on in the development of it, which I love. And, and particularly since you know I I, I am so somewhat of a storyteller as well with CJNT Media, though I'm, I'm certainly getting trying to get better i'm not anywhere at, at your at your level Rochelle. see but but certainly one thing that has i've enjoyed so much about creating media has been the opportunity to expose and and and, and ultimately story craft which is something i've, I've appreciated 
from watching your your content. One thing I'm curious about now, UK Film School, you, you got one documentary on your, on your belt. Now you're like, okay, and you always had this. I think was this story of La Belle being created in parallel, and then and then when it came time to actually go to Haiti, you know, talk to us about that process. Like, how did you did you how did you connect with I guess friends or family and say, hey, I'm shooting, and who do you? So how did you sort of navigate Haiti when it came time to start filming on island? Because I can tell you even myself, you know, I have a lot of equipment and I can you know I gotta I always you know feel a little. A little, a little certain way, especially when I'm going to anywhere that I don't necessarily know, uh, it was my equipment. So I don't know that whole entire feeling when you're on the island shooting, how did you go about it? How did you network? What was the strategy of, of getting that sort of access that you got? Walk us through, walk us through the, the more technical aspect of, uh, of your story. Okay. Um, so yeah, the transition from one pro, one big project to another big project, right? Because, you know, again, patting myself because I created this feature film, um, which, again, nonfiction work is it's very different than fictional work um, because nonfiction, while it's always nice to have a nice big crew, you don't necessarily need it, especially if you're doing guerrilla style stuff that like I've been doing, uh, which is actually going to end. You know what I mean? Like each, each project I get, I learn a lot more. You know, I put myself through school. But um, yeah, so Mart had finished. I had actually got laid off from Sony. I have I was living in Atlanta at the time, and when I was living in Atlanta, uh. Yeah, the earthquake hit. And uh and uh I needed to be around my community. Also, I had when the let me just back up a little bit. When the um when I had finished Mart One Two Five and I saw like, wow, like my dreams are coming true, like I'm able to finish this project, it's opening doors for me, like yo, you know. Maybe I can be a spike lead, you know? I like, you know, like, I was like, yeah, I can do this. I want to do it again. And I had written, um, I had written a story, a script actually, when I was in college. And I was like, okay, like, I got to do something on Haiti now. I've got to do something on Haiti. I got to do something on like class. And I got to like find out what all this craziness is about, right? Um, and so, yeah, so as I was touring with my film, Mart 125, I would, like, just sit down and just start writing, like, a thesis, like, a thesis meaning, like, just a theme of what do I want to say and and sort of and, and sticking to that. Um, and then, of course, you know, being in film school, taking, like, uh, screenwriting classes, thinking of like, okay, what's act one, act two, act three, where's the climax, blah, 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 using the same sort of things that I learned with fictional work and applying it to nonfiction. And so I got laid off, but when I got laid off, I took that seven jacket. <laughs> I took the money. I probably should have got a house in Atlanta, but I didn't. <laughs> 
I um I uh I took it and I just invested it back into um Mart One Two Five as much as I could. And then also um going to school I enlisted myself in a master's program at the University of Miami and I told them straight off the gate, I was like, Yo, I already got the project that I'm gonna do and there was a little bit of conflict there because they're like, Well, you know, we want applicants to come in with fresh ideas and think about their thesis at the end. I was like, nah, yo. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing someone hating. Mm, mm. And and they were like, come on, you know, and they were like, come in here. And, and they're my biggest supporters. So I used, okay, so now I'm in La Belle Vie uh, pre-stages, and I used the idea I was part of this master's program when I went to Haiti just because it was kind of like game too. Cause I was like, I don't want these people to think I got a lot of money, but then I don't want, you know, I want them to think it's education and it is education. But at the same time, you know, this is my professional project. This is my second feature film. And so in talking to people, it was like that was sort of the angle. In talking, I should say, in talking to people in Haiti, that was the angle that I gave them. But at the same time, it was all about building relationships to understanding, like, that, like, this is important, you know. And so every everybody who participated that wasn't family, they were they were cool. They were cool with you know, the little <laughs> the little game I was sitting. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. Mazda. But my family, this was somewhat of a, uh, I wouldn't say easy pro- process, but it was much more easier process than Mark 125 because your family knows you. And when you're doing, like, nonfiction work, when you're capturing real lives and real people, those relationships are very important. Um, because they just blossom on camera, you know, they just, they're not, they, they know you, they trust you, they, they trust your professionalism as well. Um, and so I was fortunate that the main people in my film were, were, uh, were my family and the others who were not, they were okay with it, such as Shala and Joel. Shala and Joel, um, when I met them, I met them through my aunt, who has a hotel right down in Shanma. They was kids on the street, like they, they were kids without parents, you know. Um, and yeah, so, I remember those two guys. Yeah, it was very when you went to visit their home, uh, the the first home, it was it it broke my heart, man. It, it was just like wow, you know, the the tents that they were living in. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember those two now and then, and then towards the end when they, you know, had a better, a better improvement. But I'm curious today, right now, as we talk, how are they doing? Well, you know, I used to gauge Haiti based off of when they would call me. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, when they call me, they, you know, they need financial assistance. That was also kind of mind blowing for me as well because I was like, man, I don't want to have this type of transactional relationship with them. But I understand their conditions. I get it. I get it. And, um, you know, of course, 
you know, we did all that we could do, all that I could possibly do. Because, again, they look at me like I'm privileged, which, yeah, I have some advantages for sure. I have more advantages mm-hmm. than them. But at the same time, I got two kids and a dog. I'm here. <laughs> I'm by myself. I'm going to your rent and that, bills. That dog child ain't cheap. Yeah. What? And, I, and like, yo, like, I'm about a single mom on an independent documentary yeah. filmmaker, no salary type thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, it's been hard, but there, I mean, I've been trying to reach out really to Shala, because Shala's the main person I, I connect with, I keep in touch with. He's the leader. He's the, he has, like, amazing relationships with his community you know people really look up to Shala and uh he just had a baby the last time I spoke to him was before COVID I think around February and he just had a baby and myself and my partner were kind of like annoyed to be honest because we're like man he don't need to have yeah he don't need to have kids like he doesn't need to have another kid actually because he has a son already and uh but at the same time, you know, what can you what can you say? It's the reality of um, of poverty. It's the reality of the way the harsh realities that like eighty what they say eighty percent of the people live in those types of conditions. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know the facts. I don't know the stats, but a yeah, large. Yeah, it's just bad. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. We know. We know that. Shala's story is just, Shala and Joelle's story is just like a a real picture of, man, like, how do we, how do we do this? Like, how do we, how do we make it work? And then, of course, you know, coming from the, quote, unquote, Jaspola eyes, us being like, coming from the States, wanting to play hero all the time. And some of us are. You know, some of us are, and and, I, and when I say that, I, I mean that with all due respect, like, people like yourself who move back, who have, you know, several opportunities, even if you're feeding one family, what's the effects of that, you know? That's something I certainly grapple with a lot, you know, the ultimate effect of, of, of one person. And, and that's one thing, you know, when it comes to the micro and macro, right? Uh, certainly the micro, I can, I can cite so many positive examples and stories of, of, of ways we're impacting individuals and families, but then certainly at the macro level, like how is it changing everything? And that's, that's certainly difficult. But when it comes to the, the story of, of the story craft, right? You know, certainly again, I, again, I, I enjoyed the span of time. So I'm taking, I'm thinking that you were constantly coming in and out of the country, right? That's number one. And, and sort of that, that sort of had, had some challenges, but, but your challenges in general, what was maybe looking back, Right, talking about the process. Technically, what was like the challenge for you? Looking back, you're like, man, I don't know. I figured, I, I figured it out. But like, what was the challenge? Looking back, that you're, you're glad you figured out that you know uh, allowed you to, you know, you had to overcome to to produce this. Well, um, there was no problems going in and out the country. There was no problems. We were cool. I mean, definitely having Shala with us when we were going in the hood and his community. Yeah, like, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not stupid. Like, I'm, you know, 
I'm not stupid. I'm not going to just roll up to people's communities like that and just have a camera or whatever. I mean, I wish I could. And <laughs> but, um, you know, those things take time, you know, as like someone who's been doing this and who's been documenting people like those, it's, it's the relationships are, are crucial um, for filming, for documentary filmmaking. But mm. I would say the real challenge was being in front of the camera because this was my story, and so it was my story. I had to direct it. Then I was dealing with my partner, who's not really, like, at the time was, like, he was a photographer, but this was, like, his first cinematography project, you know, and Jean Marcelin, you know, who's – and I guess the, the greatest thing is that, you know, he's my man, so, you know, like – it was great that, you know, it was great that there were times it was like, okay, we could share a room together. You know, we can, we could eat together off the same plate. Like we were just mm-hmm. rocking like that because we were, you know, we're together, you know, that's my, mm-hmm. that's my king. That's my partner. And, but sometimes it's like, yo, get the shot right. Get the shot right. <laughs> get the shot right. So yo. You know, and it was like, that was like hard sometimes, like to just direct your, first of all, you're directing someone to, 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 to get what you have in your mind because you don't have it written out and you, ha- you don't have it drawn out. So, you know, and that comes with experience too. That comes with having a bigger crew, you know, like, yeah, we probably could have had like, two more people with us, but we did it. Actually, we used Shala, like, Shala did some of our sound. We used his boy, Reggie, um, sorry, not his boy, uh, my partner's cousin, Reggie, who actually had come to Haiti when he was a kid, but he always wanted the opportunity to return on as an adult and, like, just do, like, dope, dope things in Haiti, you know, vacation. And so he was like, yo, if I come with you guys, you know, I'll help out. So he did our sound one trip. So, yeah, some of the challenges are the resources. You know, it's always nice to have additional resources so that the director, you know, the person doing it can just totally focus on the subject or the area. You know, we were also trying to trying our best to get the beautiful shots of Haiti and stuff, but the film kind of took a turn, you know, the film took a turn from that, because that was the original idea. So. I know certainly towards the end, it became, it was very emotional, because again, you, you, you certainly had your mom come back to to the country and, and re-engage, so from the perspective of, like my mom, my mom, she, you know, she's, she's told me, I could buy her a plane ticket. She's not coming to Haiti. <laughs> she's, she's done. Unlike my dad, my dad is you no. Know, he's he's on a different boat. In fact, it's just you know situations have not allowed him to engage as much as he he would like. In fact, he loves the fact that I'm in Haiti now and he wants to use me as a bridge to connect himself with my mom. No way. And so I kind of it hit me because I put my situation where my you know imagine my mom coming back and then saying you know what Haiti isn't so bad. Actually, I do like Haiti. You know, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so. You know, I, my question now is, I guess, really has to do with 
you know, a budding filmmaker. You know, I, I'm not going to call myself a filmmaker. I'm, I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> so we just we just do what we do. And so it's a whole it's a different sphere of, of, of science in, in my book. But, you know, for someone looking to document visually, you know, using cinematography and, and ultimately whatever medium it ends up, if it does end up on YouTube, if it ends up uh, on, you know, Amazon Prime or Netflix, uh, what advice would you give someone, a Haitian-American listening to this right now, who similarly wants to uh, um, share culturally their story? Um, what advice or two would you partake, given your experience thus far, doing that? Well, it, it would just be to do it. You know? mm-hmm, Every, mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody has... Uh, Everybody has a camera now, you know, um, start recording your 105-year-old grandfather. Get every mm-hmm. every story, even if it's audio. Always, yeah, mm-hmm. always have good audio. Audio is key because it can kind of make up for visuals that aren't that great. But audio... You can't make up for bad audio. <laughs> uh, so that's on the technical side. But, um, yeah, tell your story. If it's a documentary, you know, nonfiction stuff, I mean, look, it depends how you want it. I mean, if you want something beautifully shot, well-made, and, yeah, your aspirations are to go to Netflix, then, yeah, you may want to, like, spend a little time learning <laughs> And mm-hmm. and collaborating with someone who knows, like collaborating with an experienced documentary filmmaker to tell your story. I mean, that that's a beautiful option, too, you know, to actually have people say, you know what, I, I want to make this story about my family, but I'm going to collaborate with, you know, a Haitian filmmaker or whatever, just an experienced filmmaker that will collaborate to tell my story. So that that's what I would advise. And and so, you know, since you've tossed it out, by the way, uh, my media company in Haiti would love to collaborate with a documentary like yourself. So <laughs> on the record, I'm throwing out that. Next time, your next big project, you let us know. <laughs> so we would love to help. Right. But on that same vein, too, Rochelle, um, uh, what, what is what's, – so what's next? Like, are you – so certainly, are you looking for another documentary, or do you want to? You don't have to give me the details now, but like, are you also going to continue to make documentaries, or, or maybe are you going to try to at some point try some try your hand in something else, in like a different genre? Like, where do you see your yourself going from a just overall career perspective? You know, you know, do you want to do another big project that ends up on one of these streamers, or, or where, where are you going? Like, where do you see yourself another ten years as a filmmaker? Well, um, yeah, continuing, continuing to do what I'm doing. You know, I'm living the dream. I'm working on very dope projects. Um, I've actually, when La Belle Vie was done in 2014, I started a film series called IT Much. And then mm-hmm. later, a few years later, I started this series called Black Lounge Films. So it's a it's a film series that gives 
Haitian and black filmmakers around the world like a platform to show their films here in Miami. And um, and so, yeah, to be just like, I love what Ava DuVernay is doing. You know, she's able to do docs. Yeah, I want to do narrative. Like, kidding me? <laughs> so I want to do narrative and blow them out the water because Haitians and stick with the Haitian narrative. Haitian stories are beautiful. Haitian mm-hmm. is like, and Haitian storytelling is yet to be really told to its fullest. You know, although I, I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of Haitian movies out there. But, you know, to get it to the next level of visually, story, the acting, like to be able to hit all of the aesthetics of filmmaking, uh, we need that. So, yeah, I want to be part of that in the next 10 years. Okay, okay. You know? And and just to highlight what you just said there, IT images, uh, and then then you also have the Black Lounge, um, the films, films yeah. exactly, and those are all searchable on Google, and you can certainly find find that content. But but remember, Amazon Prime, uh, you can find La Belle Vie, and of course, Vimo on demand, La Belle Vie film, right? So I think I think that's in terms of questions and, and, and trying to understand the technical background aspect. I, I'm satisfied. I know when it comes to the story, I want folks to make sure to go out and watch it, right? Because I, I could ask a lot more of these processual questions um, in terms of, you know, how the, your your experience and how this and that, like I usually ask, but but the thing is Rochelle has it on film. <laughs> so just go watch it, guys, and, and, and you'll see her perspective um as as she has put it together so so well done and so so narratively clear right i don't know mark did you have anything else you kind of wanted to ask about you know you know her her process in, in haiti and filmmaking or you you good no on, on the filmmaking part no not really um unfortunately you won't have enough time to get into some of the other the other questions which you can, we can talk about another time when I shall. I saw some things in there about the election with Mate Lee. When I was watching, I was like, oh, I gotta ask, I gotta ask when I talk. But um, we'll have time at a later date to, to delve into some of that. What I've been wondering is how has um, the reception been um, from the Haitian community of the film? Well, um, well, okay, so the film was finished in 2014 we didn't get out into like the festivals and all of that until 2016 and we've been smashing it like Haitians around the diaspora have been like oh man like this is my story this is what happened to me yeah I can relate to that I can relate to that now when we went to Haiti um and we showed it twice in Haiti the first time was great because it was in an educational setting, so to speak. It was at this place called Focal that really uses, you know, art and culture to help push democracy. And so, you know, there was just like a a whole melange de moon, like a whole mix, and it was dope, but it was just that one time. When we showed it the second time, we showed it outdoors in Jacmel, and people were like, I heard them saying comments, especially when Martelise 
scene came on. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what I wanted to get it. I yeah. knew that like, was going to cause when, issues. When, when Strong feelings. Scene, yes, when my daily scene came on, when some other, I think it was my great aunt who was talking about La Belle V, they were like, ah. They were like, whatever. They was like, whatever. I was like, okay. And then when, and then we invited Shala to like, you know, speak on behalf of the film. They were like, kind of giving him the like, yo, we don't want those people here. Wow. Send them, send them back to Port-au-Prince. Interesting. <laughs> so you really saw like the complexity of of the political so- social as people were watching it and and reacting to it. Very interesting. But Very interesting. oh, actually, actually, I forgot. No, we showed it a third time. Uh, at a school, of, it was an all-girls school, and mm-hmm. that was fantastic. I mean, again, I think it, it has to do with the, environment. Uh, the setting, yeah, because mm-hmm. that was like they were really deep and asking some really honest questions mm-hmm. about about the film and, and really appreciated my story and stuff. So, yeah, it, it's so it's been, I would say, overall, like, the reaction from the Haitian diaspora, this is like really like a Haitian diaspora story. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I've, I've come to terms with that because at first I was like, man, I, I want Haitians in Haiti to understand it. And in time, in time, you know, because uh, I work a lot with, I have my educational partners at FIU. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been using that film to show in high schools, like, every year. Every mm-hmm. year, I'll go to, like, North Miami High School. I'll go to some schools in Broward. And I'll show not only La Belle Vie, um, but I'll show other Haitian films. And, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a good. And, and because, you know, the important thing also about showing it here is that it's not just a Haitian story. I got Cubans coming to me. I it's got the diaspora story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. it yeah, it goes it goes it runs deep. Um even somebody from Romania was like, Oh my god, this is my story too. Yeah, so that's that's why I wanted you on here because again I identified with it right away and um, I'm so so honored that I had the chance to, to have you on the program. Certainly want to have you back because we've got so many other questions we wanted to ask. Uh, but uh, time is kind of uh, truncating us a little bit, and, and hopefully we can do it in Haiti, uh, and we can do it, uh, you know, in the, the way I really want this podcast to be something much more in person, in the sort of uh, with us recording our conversation and and, uh, and 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 you know getting it out afterwards. But uh, but nonetheless, I, I learned tremendous uh, about uh, you, about your process, about what it took, because you know a lot of folks. You know, overnight was oh this person oh Amazon oh wow goodness but, but they don't see that this is a something you've been working your whole life at and 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 just now you know getting the exposure that you 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 deserve right uh, across the world and uh, certainly I'm ro- rooting for you I'm rooting for you you know at first I was considering you the, the next uh, Easter Ray but Easter Ray does more of these shows so I guess you're the next Eva Duvernay <laughs> Eva Duvernay is what I'll start saying when I when I talk about you nah now. nah you know? nah no, no, being anybody else but me. That's okay, gotcha. Not. All right, you're the next Rochelle Sonata. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yeah. reminds me of a, a very old school viral video, and, and they walk up to a girl, and you know, you know, you look like, and she goes, Sharisha, and she goes, Who's Sharisha? Me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
So, no, so good. but, um, but mm-hmm. no, I thank you as well. I thank you as well. I appreciate the the intentions of y'all setting up this because it's très important because mm-hmm. avec Numem meaning like the people who live outside of Haiti, the people who live inside of Haiti, we need each other. We are a marriage that can never end, you know, never end. We are connected. Our energies need each other. And we need Haiti just as Haiti needs us. And so I appreciate the efforts of, you know, you guys put in this platform so it can maybe spark ideas of people, yeah, really, um, really considering investing in Haiti by going, you mm. know, and uh, and and then the same on the uh, on the Haiti side, that Haiti really um, puts its mouth, puts its what is it the term, um, just stays committed to their to what they say during election times when they want, you know, the yeah, Haitian diaspora. Yeah. yeah, follow through, follow through, you know, follow through. Like, let us know that we have a home in Haiti mm. because you have a home here. Like, it's Haitians on the front line here that are fighting for Haitians. Yeah, so they say the right things. When you listen to them on campaign, they say everything – so oh. they know what they should be doing economically yeah. and yeah. the country domestically to boost and then they always Haitian diaspora need to be involved and they're gonna but then when they get in office, absolutely opposite happens. Yeah, and so and and you know, there just needs to be um this type of platforms more. So thank you so much, you know, for oh. some oh, today's Sunday. No, today's Saturday. Yeah. Today's Saturday, Sanji. Enjoy your, enjoy your Saturday. Right. Thank you, you so much. Mark, what's the final thought? definitely, definitely, um, you know, really, really blessed to have you on. Great to, you know, to learn more uh, about you and your background. And hopefully, you know, we can link up. I'm going to continue to build this community. Um, I'll be praying for you and I'll be sharing. La belle vie. So keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. And that's next. Thanks. And that's the end of the podcast. Mapimpo IET, the Haitian Diaspora Living in Haiti podcast. We have fantastic guests who always come in and give their perspectives and with, with the idea of, again, how can we also impact in, in a way similar to our name. Michelle certainly was very uh, fantastic and part of that information. Remember, we're on every medium, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook and, and YouTube. You find it on the C Gentle channel. Uh, we, we want to make sure you, uh, there's no excuses. You know, these stories need to get out and you can get it in any, in every, every, in any consumable way that you consume your media. It's available to you. Make sure when you're watching it, hit that, give us that thumbs up. Give us that five stars. Leave a comment. Give us your perspective. Give us your thought. It all adds to helping that algorithm get that, push that story out because if that's what we need. We need to get these stories out within our community and especially outside to understand this, there's more to hate. There's more to Haitians than what you see on CNN, Fox. It's a lot more to it, a lot more complexity. And, uh, and I'm, again, I'm so blessed the fact that I'm able to do this. And, and if you got this far, especially, listen, you're the real MVP. Until we're back at it again, we'll be back 